Welcome to the podcast of San Diego First Church of the Nazarene. My name is Dee Kelly and it is today, as always, a joy to be with you. So glad you have joined us. We are located at 3901 Loma Land Drive in the Point Loma area of San Diego. We would certainly love to have you come join us on Sunday mornings. We have uh, Sunday school at 9 and service at 1030. Um, we are starting up on uh, the first Sunday of March, what we are calling First Sunday's Morning Tide, first Sunday of every month, a um, time at nine o'clock of uh, hymns and songs, choir numbers, instrumentals, and a brief homily um, that is intended to be a spiritual practice for all who might be interested in that kind of an experience. There will still be a service at 1030 um, of our regular liturgy. And we invite you to be part of that or part of our midweek programming if that's something you might be interested in. But thank you for joining us online and would like to jump into the passage of scripture that we are looking at this morning. It is Luke chapter 6, verses 39 through 49. It is part of what is sometimes referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. In Matthew, we can find some of these similar teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. That's a slightly longer uh, passage, collection of the words of Jesus, comprising chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. But here in chapter 6 of Luke, we have what's referenced as the Sermon on the Plain. And we are just looking at a portion of this passage this uh, morning, a portion of the Sermon on the Plain, that portion being verses 39 through 49. So let me read this passage for us. Jesus is speaking and says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? How can you say to someone else, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye. You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart. And the evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what that is like. It is like the one who comes to me, hears my words, puts them into practice. That person is like one who builds a house who dug down deep, laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a person who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction who was complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this passage takes place near the beginning of Jesus's ministry, and it, it kind of sets a tone for what Luke writes and what follows. 
I like to look forward to kind of the direction of a particular book or writing. Luke is a marvelous storyteller. We believe that he was a physician as well as an historian. And this um, telling of the story of Jesus is the first of his two-volume set. Acts is the book that follows, and they should be taken together. There's a wonderful way by which at the end of Luke, we have Jesus saying to wait until you receive the fullness of that which I have promised. It is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then Acts starts off with telling the story about the coming of the Holy Spirit and how that transformed the people and the church and how the gospel spread as a result of that. And so this book of Luke, this storytelling of Luke, tells us this wonderful depiction of the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And this begins, um, at least at the beginning of the Sermon on the Plain, at the beginning of this chapter, starts off telling us about some of the many teachings that Jesus had to help us to live out this calling and discipleship. There are ways to live and ways not to live ways to engage people, and ways that are not acceptable for those who are disciples of Christ. It is a calling to love, and not just easy love, but it talks about love for your enemies. It's a radical form of love. But this morning I want to look in particular at the setup that leads to these moments. Um, I want to take a quick glance at where Jesus was that led to this place where he offers the Sermon on the Plain to people who have gathered. And I want to start with what happens that launches Jesus' ministry, the baptism. We've talked about this baptism before, the baptism where he goes out to the Jordan and his cousin John, um, who claims he's unworthy, is the one who baptizes. But then there is this spiritual baptism that we believe is part of the physical going into the water, where God's Spirit is poured out on us, and in this moment we see God's Spirit poured out on Jesus. It says God's Spirit in the form of a dove descended from above and landed on him. And then there is this voice that I've referenced so often. It's in chapter 3, verse 22, where the voice from heaven says, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am pleased. I'd like to not so much retranslate it at all, but put it in a modern vernacular for me, maybe. I hope it helps for you as well. A voice that says, you are mine. I love you. I'm proud to be your dad. I'd like to acknowledge that uh, there are many references to God as Father. There are also many scriptural references that talk about the feminine side of the Godhead, the the creator of all things. 
But in this moment, let's stick with the imagery that we find in this particular passage. And in the midst of that, I want to acknowledge that for many, viewing God as Father is difficult because of the difficult ways in which a father figure, a patriarch, someone in a family system um, treated the people that were part of that family system. That may be true for you. Where to go there conjures up such pain or difficulties. In fact, me even bringing this up has the potential of raising some of the anxiety and the sense of pain and the woundedness. I would love if this line could be part of healing, not just for those who have struggled with things of the past, but for everyone who suffers with any pain. To hear these words over you, words that speak of and embrace a heart of caring and compassion, a, a pride of a parent, that these words might be yours, that you would hear God speak over you. You are mine. I love you. I'm proud to be your dad. Those words, God's not waiting for you to produce anything. I've said it before. This comes over Jesus before Jesus has performed any miracles, given any speeches, or done anything to merit. Th this is, these are words of grace, words of passionate love. I'm going to say them one more time. You are mine. I love you. I'm proud to be your dad. So then Jesus, as it says in scripture, full of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the words from God the Father come in chapter 3, verse 22. The statement of filled with the Holy Spirit comes in the first verse of chapter 4. It's separate, separated by a genealogy. I don't know how much time has passed. In my heart, I feel like no time passes. I feel like that it's this kind of affirmation from the Father that fills Jesus full, that his heart is abundant with God and filled with the Holy Spirit, he then embarks on ministry. And now can I just present to you what a terrible beginning it seems like this ministry has. You talk about a new church startup. You talk about a new business. You think about the key moments that kind of transform a, a business or a church or a, an idea uh, to come to fruition and to be successful. This doesn't seem like the pathway because having had this spoken over him, filled with the Spirit, he then goes through terrible temptations, the hardest I could imagine. Temptations to give up, 
on the hope and the grace and the perspective that he'd been filled with. After temptations, he um, goes to his hometown and his hometown people want to throw him off a cliff. This is a terrible start to a journey of ministry. It, it says that he often finds himself in lonely places, going to solitary places and praying. I love the notion of praying in solitude, going to a prayer closet, finding space to be quiet before God. But I also know that lonely places and solitary places feel lonely and feel solitary. Not a great moment for a movement, a revolutionary movement to begin. He then begins to put his startup team together. A startup team that's supposed to carry this message of good news. A community that's supposed to exhibit the kingdom of God on earth just as it is in heaven. And so he brings together the best and the brightest. Eh, maybe not. I mean, wonderful men. In fact, they started their own business. It seems like Peter, James, and John had joined in business as fishermen and were trying to make a go of it. An honorable honorable vocation and uh, an effort to uh, provide for their families, for the people in their family. And Jesus come and invites them to be part of his new startup. They leave their fishing nets. They don't seemingly do anything to prepare for this. They just follow. And then the next person to be added to the team, Matthew, a tax collector. So we've got three fishermen and a tax collector. This is the startup team for this new ministry. A fisherman, kind of rough uh, around the edges, um, weathered, um, a tax collector, despised by everyone, not the kind of person that you would think would draw a great crowd. And together they begin the journey. Nobody listens particularly to what Jesus says. He heals a person of leprosy. He tells them not to tell anyone, but they do, and word about him spreads everywhere. So even though he's able to do some things, nobody's obeying what he says. They don't listen to him. He's accused of blasphemy. He's accused of breaking the law. And then they were furious over a healing, a healing of a withered hand. The church hierarchy wanted to have nothing to do with him. And it's into this moment that Jesus steps onto the plane and people who were curious and interested, people who were fascinated by his ability to heal, come to listen to him speak. And in the midst of his teachings, he says, that it is out of the abundance of the good stored up in the heart that good things come out of a person's life. It's out of the abundance of evil stored up in the heart that evil things come out of a person's life. So let me go back 
to Jesus being filled up with the words of God. You are mine. I love you. I'm proud to be your dad. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled in the heart with the best of good things, of affirmation, of grace, of love. A kindness that comes from compassion. Jesus weathers temptation, being accused of blasphemy and being a lawbreaker of people who don't pay attention or listen to his instructions and people from his hometown who want to throw him off a cliff. Undaunted, he begins to say, you know what? When you've filled your heart with the good things, with the Holy Spirit, what begins to flow out of your life is good. When you fill your heart with greed and lust and the fruits of evil activities, jealousy and anger, eventually that's what's going to come out in your life. So begin to replace those things with God's presence with God's spirit for the treasures of the heart produce the outcomes of one's life. Acknowledge that we are the ones who have a plank in our eye. We are the ones who judge. We are the ones who condemn. We are the ones who forgive. I find myself very, very angry at the escalation of war that is taking place in parts of our world. But before I am too quick to judge, let me acknowledge that apart from Christ, my heart is filled with a desire for power, with a desire for more, with a desire to have things. And then it becomes out of that posture of what's in my heart that my life speaks. And I am the one who desperately needs the Holy Spirit to come. And to push out from my heart those things that destroy and undermine and lead to war and warring in relationships, but if I will listen to the one who knows me best and loves me most and says to me, you are mine, I love you, I'm proud of you. If I will listen to the words of the psalmist, oh Lord, you are my shepherd and everything I need you've provided. It's within my grasp. And what I need most is to know that I am yours.
that I am loved by you, and that your spirit fills me. I love what the wonderful hymnist writes, Come, Holy Spirit, I need thee. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in thy strength and thy power. Come in thine own special way. Come, Holy Spirit, I need thee. I can explain a lot of things with my head, but what I can't ever quite explain is what happens in my heart when the Spirit meets a deep need of my soul. It then defies explanation how my life begins to change when my heart is transformed by God's Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, we need thee. That's my prayer for you this morning, my prayer for myself, my prayer for the body of Christ, that we would see ourselves as something very different, prone to the same things that everybody else is prone to, prone to jealousy and envy and anger, prone to covet power and possessions and resources, prone to war. But we've been invited to be a community of faith, a community that allows the kingdom of heaven to come and transform, not by might or sword or power, but by love. And so may God's Holy Spirit fill you with an assurance of God's love and transform you and us from the inside out. So once again, our prayer, O Holy Spirit, come. May God's presence be with you. May God's love pour through you. May God give you peace in the midst of whatever you're facing. And know that you are God's. You are loved. And God expresses his pride over you. I hope you have a blessed week. God be with you.